You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Don Baker. This is Dustin Heiner, and you are listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. Listen, I would do anything for my children, so if I saw them suffering, I would take action. It started rather simply. My daughter was a happy, outgoing child, and she was doing great in elementary school until, until third grade. Suddenly, something happened as the year went on. She became dour, down, sad, argumentative. It seemed like every time we wanted to do something with our wonderful daughter, we were getting in a fight. And I wasn't sure what was going on. My wife and I had talked about it, and eventually we realized she was having a horrible time at school. I guess some of the kids had been bullying her, stealing her stuff. They had even formed a club based on the idea of not liking my daughter. It was horrible. So we talked to my daughter, and then we talked to the school, and her teacher said, You know what? Your daughter is just different difficult. So we hired a psychologist to come into the school and watch her interact with the other children. And after two days of doing this, the psychologist came back to us and said, there's nothing wrong with your daughter. The school just lacks empathy. She is in a very unempathic environment and she's not doing well in it. So we decided to take her out of public school and send her to private school. Now you have to imagine that was never anything I had ever considered doing in the past. I went to public schools myself. My wife went to public schools. It was really the last straw that made us decide that my daughter was not thriving in public school. I would do anything for her. And the psychologist had let us know that it wasn't something my daughter was doing wrong. There was nothing we could fix. So we're lucky enough to live in an area with lots of private schools. We eventually found one, and there was a point during the interview process at the school she eventually went to where my daughter looked at us and said, why don't you homeschool me? Why don't I just learn at home? Now you have to imagine my wife and I are busy professionals. I'm a doctor. I was in the midst of a huge busy practice. My wife was right smack dab in the middle of a successful career. We never really took that idea seriously. Thankfully, 
the school my daughter went to ended up working out. She loves it. She has a brand new set of friends, and her teachers now tell us that she's a leader and that she's thriving. It sounds like the story ended happily ever after. But of course, as you guys know, that was before the coronavirus pandemic. It was before shelter in place. And as all of our children are coming home and are now schooling from home, it really begs the question that maybe we missed our chance. Maybe my wife and I could have started homeschooling way back then. Maybe we would be better prepared for what is happening right now. On the other hand, now my children are 12 and 15, and they are set in their ways. They have their friends. They have their habits. If I wanted to take them out of the school system now, if I wanted to homeschool them, let's say that I decided I wanted to travel or get out there and do more with my life or move, I could only do that at the expense of uprooting them. Homeschooling. Never before had I considered it, and yet never has it looked so attractive as it does today. And speaking of things going in a way you don't expect, shopping for disability insurance can be complicated, taking too much time to research and understand. At Pattern, they believe doctors have more important things to do than worry about insurance. This is why thousands of doctors across the U.S. trust them to help compare and understand the insurance they are buying. They do this in three simple steps. First, you request your quotes online. Second, you compare your options and ask questions. Third, you apply risk-free. Request your quotes today at PatternLife.com slash partner slash earn and invest to be confident you have the right policy and your income is protected. You can find the link in our show notes. PatternLife.com slash partner slash E-A-R-N-A-N-D-I-N-V-E-S-T. Dustin Heiner is an author who writes about his passions and experiences in life. He has a passion to teach people how he quit his job with passive income so he could spend more time with his family and be independent. His latest podcast and blog is titled Successfully Unemployed. Dustin? You have like 10 kids, right? (laughs) No, not close. Actually, if my wife had it her way, we probably would by now. But no, we have four kids and oldest right now is almost 12. The youngest is six. And so there was one time my wife would love to loves telling everybody we had four kids that were either four year old or like to newborn. So four kids from four and under. And so, yeah, we have four kids and they're, they're a blast. We love homeschooling them too. Don Baker is an anesthesiologist, blogger, author, mother, and cancer survivor. She started her blog, Practice Balance, as a way to relieve stress during a difficult time in her life and has grown into so much more over the past seven years. She also writes at the Stealth Wealth Family, where she documents her travels and discusses multiple topics, including homeschooling. Don, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Doc. Happy to be here. Tell us about Aspen. So Aspen is my only child. She is an IVF baby. I had her a little late, so she is going to be the only one for us. We were 41 when we had her, and we have been intending to homeschool her ever since pretty much she was born. So I feel like we need to start this discussion in a way that I wasn't planning. This is, what, March 20... 
3rd, 2020, and most schools around the country are on lockdown, which means a bunch of us have our young kids or even teenagers wandering around the house at this very moment. I feel like, Dustin, you guys are a little bit ahead of the curve. Do you find yourself looking at some of your peers and going, yeah, I'm prepared for this. How about you? (laughs) It's so funny that I get so many friends on Facebook or Instagram saying like, they show a picture of them being trying to be all calm and collected on day one of the quarantine. By day two, they're like literally distracted and destroyed and everything's a mess. And I'm like, we've been doing this for, not saying like anything to pat ourselves on the back, but it's just like, we've always done this. We, ha- we don't know any different. And, you know, we don't put our kids anywhere and then have them come back, you know, going to school. And so I'm a huge proponent for homeschooling. And in fact, I was literally against like 100% against homeschooling. I was the the type of guy that would see all the kids running around and I could literally point which kids were homeschooling. Like that kid's weird. That kid's homeschooling. That kid's weird. (laughs) That kid's a homeschooler. And that's the stigma that you kind of get with homeschooling. But as I realized, as I started getting older and and started watching for things, my wife asked me because she was big for homeschooling. I was literally against it. I said, no, we will never homeschool. But she said, well, think about the weird kids. Were their parents weird? And I paused. I thought to myself, you know what? Their parents were weird. And because you get weird kids in homeschooling, you also get weird kids in public school. That's just the way it works out. But yeah, for us with homeschooling, being a little or a lot ahead of the game, my family, they're literally in the other room. They're inside the kitchen, literally doing homeschooling right now because it's just what we normally do. And Don, you weren't an immediate convert either, right? I read that Trent, your husband, was the one who came up with the idea first, and it took you by surprise. Definitely. I think maybe I was pregnant, and we were just talking about the future. We might have been in the car or something, and he said, well, I want to homeschool her. And I thought, what? I just had this picture in my head of kind of the the eccentric, strange children that would have been homeschooled when I was a kid. And thinking that they were going to be outcasts, you kind of have this picture of a parent being at a kitchen table with a stack of books and like a chalkboard or something. But then I read about it and there are a lot of resources out there to kind of dispel those myths. I was definitely converted at that point. Dustin, I feel like a lot of people have this idea that homeschooling is something strange or certainly unconventional. On the other side of that, we have this explosion of different variants. It seems like when I even say homeschool, I'm not sure what I mean anymore. I've heard the term unschooling before. I hear people throwing around world schooling. This doesn't sound like the homeschooling that we looked at with a funny face back decades ago. Yeah, it did have uh, not like maybe a stigma, but people had a thought of homeschooling being just those weird people. Like the weird people would homeschool. It did, and I literally grew up with that thought too. I went through the public school, and and you know I turned out fine, so I thought everything's uh, you know just go ahead in public school. But yeah, there it has changed, and the reason why I think it's changed is because there are more people doing it, and so instead of having that stigma. More people, more just, I wouldn't say, it's, it's hard to say this, it's going to be sound rough, but like normal people, normal people, not just like the, the weird people are doing, more normal people are doing homeschooling. And see, with my wife, she really wanted to homeschool and I didn't and I was completely against it. But as I was putting our, or getting ready to put our oldest daughter, like I said, she's now 12 and we've been homeschooling from the very, very beginning. My wife has the hard job of doing most, most of the homeschooling. I have the easy job of making money. She has a hard job of homeschooling. And so 
we, as I was thinking about putting her into either kindergarten, finding a school, getting her signed up and all that sort of stuff, or homeschooling, I just really started running through the pros and cons of both. I really started considering, because she's been talking about it ever since we've been married for like, you know, eight years. She was really wanting to homeschool. And so as we were getting closer and closer, I started praying about it. And I started really, really thinking about what I wanted for my kids coming out of school. Like ultimately, what's the number one goal and number two goal? So for me, being a Christ follower, I wanted them to know and love God. That's the number one thing. I thought, well, public school is probably not going to help them in that direction. So that might not be the best direction to go. So that's, you know, it's obviously a pro for homeschooling. The other one was I want my boys to be able to provide for their family. I have two boys and two girls. So I want them to be able to provide financially, put a roof over their head, giving them food to eat. That, that's the ultimate goal is that we can survive and we can actually eat and, and provide. And so for my girls, the other thought for them was that they would be able to manage the home. They'd be able to take care of the kids. They'd be able to make sure everything functioned while their husband was out or they stayed home or they made money or whatever it might be. I just boiled it down to those two things. And then as I was realizing about homeschooling versus public schooling, I realized that I can teach my kids so much better. My wife can teach our kids so much better, especially when we have four. So one on four, my wife teaching four kids, as opposed to a teacher teaching 28 kids or 30 kids at one time. And so right now I'm realizing that, and it's been so long that we've been homeschooling. We were taking it year by year. I would say, no, let's just try one year. Kindergarten worked out great because we're only you know, at school for maybe, what, three hours for kindergarten. So I said, let's try it with just kindergarten and see how it goes. I'm going to see how you do, honey. And it went really, really well. And then the next kid came and then the next kid. Now we have all four kids going through it. But here's the thing. I literally was taking it year by year. But now after been doing it for so long, we're literally not going to do junior high or a high school going to public school. I'm even literally telling them, do not go to college. There are so many other ways to make money rather than getting into $60,000, $70,000 worth of debt, unless you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, which is absolutely, that's you, you need that education. But if you're going to be a normal person, that's just going to be trying to make money, provide for your family. There are so many other ways. Like, think of that $60,000 you're getting in debt. You can absolutely, with that $60,000 in debt, buy at least one or two rental properties. That's my business. I invest in rental properties. I have 30 plus properties now. I can teach them how to actually do that. And instead of getting $60,000 in debt for college and get a piece of paper and hopefully get a job, I'm going to show them how to actually buy properties and make $250 or more from those properties. So yeah, homeschooling for us has just been absolutely just the best thing. And so we will literally never send them to college. I think to speak to the terminology it's a way for people who are forging alternative paths than the traditional homeschooling, which is oftentimes tied to religion and finding other modes of communicating to their children that there are other ways of learning than the traditional things that you're learning in school. So world schooling happens to be kind of related to travel more and getting experiences as you go along. Unschooling is more related to self-directed learning and going off of what the children want to learn about, choosing those different topics and finding opportunities to get them to learn them in unconventional ways that they wouldn't necessarily get in a traditional school. And that's what we tend to do with Aspen. Don, Dustin mentioned a list of his top pros for going into homeschooling. 
What was big on your list? Why did it seem like the best way to start? And I would mention that your daughter is pretty young at the preschool age. So you're really making a very specific decision early on in the trajectory to start this way. What does homeschooling offer you that you think public schooling won't? So there are a few different things. We both work part-time and fairly location independent. We wanted to be able to have the flexibility to travel for long periods of time, which traditional school doesn't give us. So that's one of the main issues. And then the second thing is efficiency. My husband is one of those people that has really prescribed the four-hour work week for a long period of time, works very efficiently at home, doesn't have a lot of overhead, travel time, those kind of things. And he applies that idea to school and feels like school has a lot of fluff time in it. And so we feel like we can give her the same learning or provide the opportunity over a shorter period of time. And then also the same thing that Dustin said, the idea that someday she may want to do something that's very entrepreneurial, which isn't something that's emphasized in traditional school. If she wants to be a doctor or a lawyer, which is what our professions are actually, then we would support her to try to find those traditional paths to those careers. But we feel like that a lot of the unconventional things that are the wave of the future, the self-directed type of jobs and the freelancing jobs are something that we want her to be able to know about. So I completely agree with you, Don. And the way I was able to quit my job, I love the term successfully unemployed. I quit my job by investing in real estate rental properties. I bought one property, then bought another while I was working a job, got a degree and all that sort of stuff. And I got to 30 properties and I had so much money coming in. I realized, why am I still working? Like I could literally not work ever again, which is great. But Along with that, I realized, because I have a podcast called Master Passive Income, where I talk just about rental properties. But then I realized there are so many other ways to make money than rental properties or working a job. I like using the term just over broke is J-O-B, just over broke is the job that you have to work from nine to five. And so with the Successfully Unemployed podcast, I interview so many people, not just investors, not just entrepreneurs, but side hustle experts or literally anybody who's found a way to make money. And I have like 60, 70 episodes that I have interviewed people with different ways they make money. It is so amazing. I know my wife, she told me, she became a teacher, like literally not, not just a homeschool teacher, but you know, um, she went to school to be a teacher. That's because her dad was a teacher. Her brother was a teacher. And that's all she kind of, she thought maybe I can be an accountant, but I'll just be a teacher. She said, I didn't have that many options or I didn't know of them that are out there. There are so many more options, especially with the internet. We have never lived in such an amazing time to be able to make money. It is so amazing. And so there are so many ways to make money. And I just love being able to share that There are so many ways and people wake up like we don't have to, you know, follow the traditional path. There's so many other things we can do. So Don, as I'm listening to both of you guys, I'm hearing this idea that entrepreneurship is something that we don't get in a traditional education. And I've heard you also talk about the freedom to travel. So there's obviously experiential learning for your children too. Do you have a focused curriculum? It seems to me like there's all these possibilities for education, which is exciting, but also could be daunting. Like, did you find a specific curriculum online or develop your own? How did you decide in what direction to start? Well, given the fact that she's only four, 
We haven't done very specific curriculums to this point or curricula. What we have done is found some online apps that we put on a tablet for her that do kind of some of the more traditional phonics, some very basic math, like four-year-old level stuff that we researched and found these ones that we thought were the best ones. We have her do them, but we don't really set a schedule. We're very kind of free form with what we do. And then we do a lot of experiential learning. We teach her things as we go along. We talk to her, I wouldn't say like an adult, but older than she is. We explain terms to her. We talk about math and money at the grocery store and things of that nature, and just basically learning science as we're walking and those kind of things. So look into the future a little for me, Dawn. Obviously, at some point as she gets older, you may want a more formal curriculum for reading or writing or mathematics. Where do you think you'll go to find that information? There's tons of information out there about that. There are lots of blogs and podcasts actually about homeschooling and unschooling that we follow. And there are libraries of curricula that you can choose from. And we will just do the research and find the one that works for her learning style. Dustin, you're farther along the path, obviously, with your four children than Dawn is. She brings up an important question there. She said a lot of the teaching they do is experiential. How do you decide how much is experiential versus didactic? That's a, oh, that's actually a really, really good question. And what we're taught is it's always didactic. It's always like you sit in a classroom, you get this paper and pencil and you do what I tell you to do. And they're basically creating employees, which is not a bad thing. I think that's totally fine. But at the same time, being experiential, it's really, really amazing. Now, as far as curriculum, what we've done for curriculum, there, there are literally homeschooling conferences where there are so much curriculum out there. You can pick and choose. Like my wife picks some of a Becca, other ones, I can't remember the other name. She has all of them in her brain, but like math is one company. Another one is English is another company. We have homeschooling groups that we work with. We have co-ops, you know, like PE and all that sort of stuff. Now, being that I'm successfully unemployed, I literally don't have to work and still make money for my family, provide for my family. We travel a ton. In fact, this last year in 2019, we went from Florida. We flew from Phoenix to Florida and then drove four weeks from Florida all the way up to Washington, D.C., where I had a conference up there. And we basically did a four-week field trip over the entire East Coast. A year before that, in 2018, I took my wife and four kids through Europe on a six-week trip through 11 different countries. Do you know how much history, how much culture learning, everything that they got from that? One year before that, in 20, was it 17? I took my wife, my four kids, and my dad. We went through all of Japan on a six-week field trip, driving all over 2,000 miles around the, the island of Japan, and they've had an amazing time. And so the experiential learning, we do that all the time, but we do need to get the regular base curriculum in. So what we do is we realize that our experiential, for us, experiential learning, I don't want to say trumps, but it's just the same as getting the books and hitting the books. But here's the great thing. We're not always traveling. If we're traveling six weeks, the rest of the year, we can literally homeschool. And so we travel in like March or April when people are literally in school and it's cheaper, less people around. And we save our work, our, our actual school book work 
for the summertime when it's really hot and nobody wants, or everybody's traveling, it's too expensive. That's when we do our schoolwork. So we have so much flexibility, but I believe it should be both. And they learn so much more with experience than going through the book, but books is great. So I think you have to have both. Dustin, I love the fact that you called your six week trip to Japan, a field trip. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was, we saw so many amazing things. I mean, just think about the cultures, not just history. Amazing. I completely love, love history, but cultures too. getting outside of ourselves saying people live differently than us. Not many kids can actually say they've been to that many countries in, you know, two or three years. Don, as I listen to this, I think about the decisions we made with my daughter. And one of the problems was we were both working and had full schedules and thought, gosh, this sounds hard. Now, as I listen to both of you describe what you're doing, it makes me feel a little bit better, but it sounds like you have to be really thoughtful to make this work. Like this is certainly a somewhat of a stress on parents to make sure that you're balancing, let's say the travel and the experiences and the written curriculum and making sure the kids keep up with what's necessary for their grade level. Is it just in my head or is this a little bit hard? There's a few different things to think about in your question. And one of them is, do the kids really have to learn at grade level? I don't know that they really need to. A lot of the things that are prescribed to a different grade level are very arbitrary. So you have to let go of that idea. And it's called de-schooling for the parents. You have to get the idea out of your head that kids need to learn at the same pace, the same subjects that all the other kids do. So there's that. And yeah, that is difficult to do. And I'm sure it's going to be an issue for us being brought up in a traditional school environment as our daughter gets older. And then as far as the subject matter and organization, I would argue that yes, it is difficult, but it's extremely important. I mean, what is more important than having that relationship with your children and being involved in what they're learning? So it's worth it. It's worth that mental space that you're going to spend. And I would also say that with the internet and online resources, it's a lot easier to organize than maybe it used to be. Justin, I love this idea Don was talking about where we let go of this idea of what age or what grade they're supposed to be in. It also makes me wonder how much do we let a child's muse be the guide? Like how much do we let them decide where their education is going to go? I take it a little bit of a different perspective too. Not, Not different, meaning like against it. Our kids are actually learning so much farther ahead than what is traditional, like where they should be, like it's second grade or third grade. They're so much farther ahead. But when you, the question of, you know, how should we let their muse or like how they are internally dictate what we teach them? Well, no, we're still the adults. We're still the teachers. We're still like, you need to learn, sit down and <laughs> stop jumping around. Stop. So we're still the adults. We still make sure that they are the ones that are learning, following what we're teaching them. But at the same time, we're sensitive to where they are and who they are. In fact, I literally woke up this morning at 6.30 in the morning. And just this morning, I walk out to make some coffee. My, uh, he's eight years old. He's up with his math book, doing his math by himself. So you guys that are watching, you can see. So this is one of their math books right here. And so my son, he's doing his math book literally in the morning when everybody's asleep. And you want to know why? Well, the reason why is because I make it, not just a competition. Like I say, Hey, can you catch your brother? You know, his brother's like a year old. Hey, or you're older. 
hey, can you catch your brother? And that's, that's he's like, yes, I can do that. I want to do it. But I also encourage them. I say, you know what? You don't have to just do one page a day. Like mommy says, if you are successful in doing it really, really fast, I'm going to pay you. In fact, so every book, they, so every semester they get four or five books like math, reading, you know, all the different types of books. Every time they finish a book, I give them $10. It's, this is your job. This is what you do. You work hard for that. So I give them $10 and I could go into how we help them to learn financial independence and financial knowledge and education with that $10. But with that $10, I told all of my kids, if you finish your, because each semester you like you get one math book in a semester. If you finish that math book in that semester, you get $10, just like always. But if you get into your second book and you finish your second book, I will give you $10 for that book and a bonus of another $10. So you get $30 if you finish two books in a semester. And they are literally up doing the math all the time or they're reading or whatever because they really want to succeed. And I'm giving them incentive. And so that's what happens when you are not in uh, public school or government school, you can actually incentivize them and help them to want to learn more. So for us, we just keep encouraging them and they can, my, my six-year-old is learning with my 12-year-old with history and all that sort of stuff. So they are so much, my six-year-old is so much more advanced than my 12-year-old when she was six, if that makes sense. Dustin, you are giving me some great ideas. I love that we're talking about this since you have older kids. Thank yes, you. awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> Don, do you ever worry about internal motivation? When Dustin was describing how motivated his kids can be, the one thing I realized with my children is they actually feel safe acting up in front of us parents because they're home and they're in their comfortable environment and they feel like they can show their parents those sides of them that sometimes they don't want to show in public. Do you ever worry that motivation will become an issue and that it'll get into an arguing match of making your daughter do whatever exercises she should be doing for the day? I definitely worry about it, but I think that we will work through it by prioritizing the subjects that she wants to learn. Like I said, I'm not really on a set schedule of, I feel like she needs to learn something by the age that all the other kids learn. We'll follow her cues and self-motivation to learn. So I absolutely love the, the helping and, and following the cues because every child is different. But here's the thing that you brought up, Doc, is, you know, our kids act up. They do act up and they potentially can act up more when they're at home. So here's one thing that's really, really interesting. When my kids, and I know this from lots of other kids who have went to parents who have told me, my kid was in public school. And then we took them out and they started acting so much better when they were not around so many other kids. So with my homeschool kids, when they're around friends who are public schooled, they start to change their attitude and how they actually act. And even screen time, be in front of the iPad or the phone, their attitudes change. As soon as I took away that the, the phone and the iPad, as soon as I limit the time that they're around other people, other kids who are public schooled, their attitudes get so much better. You'll notice when your kids come home from school for summer, at the beginning, they're not the best. They act up. By the end of the summer, you're kind of like, man, I want to get them back into school so I can you know, have my, my more me time. But you'll realize that they start acting better because they're away from their friends. Now, here's the big thing. When I'm around my friends, my peers that do not homeschool their kids, I ask them this question. It's usually always the other way around. People ask me this question, but I ask them this question. I say, how do you deal with socialization with your kids? 
And they're always like, what? Like, no, that's for you. That you're homeschooling. You're social. How do you socialize your kids? I'm like, no, here's the thing about my kids. My kids are literally around so many other kids in different ages, different grades, around so many parents, they know how to talk to adults. They look adults in the eye. They make communication cues like an adult would because they are around so many other adults. Now, what happens in public school, they are literally age segregated. I remember I went through public school. In second grade, it was not cool to talk to the first graders. And I can't talk to the third graders because they can't think I'm not cool to talk to me. So I'm literally just talking to the kids in my age. I want my kids to not be able to only just associate with the kids around them, which they do because we have, we, they go to like PE, like co-op PEs where they're, they're literally with families and families and families that have older kids, younger kids, adults, or, you know, 18 year olds or whatever. They are literally talking to everybody. They're getting so much socialization that that's why I asked the question to public schoolers. Like, how do you socialize your kids? Well, cause they don't, they literally put them in a, you know, like if they're three-year-olds or uh, sorry, third graders, they're literally in a class with just third graders the entire time, barely talk to the teacher. Then they come home and they talk to you. So that's what I think when you have a kid that's going into public school, they're getting that social engineering from the people that are around. If you're homeschooling, you don't have that. And they, our kids act so much better. Don, what Dustin is talking about is some of the ill effects of our public school system. And I know during my introduction, I talked about my daughter and some of the bullying she was going through. The thing about homeschooling is you don't have to deal with bullying. You don't have to deal with school violence. Your children get to avoid some of the materialism they see at school. Were these thoughts or parts of your thought process when deciding to homeschool? Those were definitely factors that play into our decision to homeschool. And we echo what Dustin said about wanting her to be around mixed ages and varieties of people. In the first half of the show, Dustin and Don described how they originally got involved in homeschooling. After the break, we tackle the various pros and cons. But first, shopping for disability insurance is complicated enough. Wondering if you are getting the best prices and discounts while in training can make the process even more overwhelming. At Pattern, they simplify disability insurance for busy doctors so they can feel confident that they have the right policy and their income is protected. Getting coverage while you are still training could save you thousands over your career. So don't miss out on these training program discounts for residents and fellows. Get started today by requesting free quotes at patternlife.com slash partner slash earn and invest and be confident you have the right policy at the best price. You can find the link in our show notes, patternlife.com slash partner slash E-A-R-N-A-N-D-I-N-V-E-S-T. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. 
Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Dustin, we've mentioned all of the positives, and there seem to be a lot of positives of homeschooling. Are there any negatives? So when I was trying to figure out if we were going to homeschool or go into public school, I started really listing out the pros and cons. As I'm thinking of any negatives, the biggest one comes down to, I don't get my me time. Like I don't get away from my kids. That's (laughs) honestly, for me, that is the one negative, but then that translates to all the other types of negatives. Like I can't go to the gym enough, or it's basically about what I can't do because my time is taken up. But when you think about if homeschooling is hard or not, well, your job is probably hard. You had to learn that just the same. But what's great is if you figure out ways, and we've been blessed to you know, try a bunch of different things, and we figured out ways to make our kids motivated, as well as we say, you are learning. You sit down and you learn now. Here's also one thing. Quickly, I'm going to go jump topics, not topics, but like ideas really quick. So my eight-year-old, he's the one that was up doing his own math by himself this morning. When he was like five, he came and brought his math book to me and says, hey, daddy, I need your help with this math. I'm like, okay. And I'm asking him, okay, okay, what is this? And what is this? He starts literally bouncing and jumping and looking at the page, but bouncing and jumping. And I realized my first thought was sit down, stop moving around and do this. But I refrained for just maybe 30 seconds. Let me see if this is actually just a part of his energy and thought process. And he literally got the answer in like the next 10 seconds, because that's how his energy is. But they're taught, they're they're told, you sit down in your chair, you do not move. Well, some kids don't don't really necessarily, not necessarily learn like that, but some kids learn better. And my kid, who I actually allowed to do that, because once I realized that, I saw, oh my goodness, he got that. And he was bouncing, even reading, he'll bounce and read, and he can do that and reads better than a lot of kids. And so I'm like, okay, now we're able to help them by growing them in a certain way and direction. Now, when you're thinking about how, if it's hard or not, if there's any negatives, the only real negative is that's going to affect you a little bit. You might have to stop if you need to stop working or you need to have a little extra time. You need to, whatever it might be. I know of a homeschool family that the dad doesn't really make a lot of money. He has a, a certain job, don't make a lot of money, but the mom she homeschools. She's the one that does all the homeschooling. And she's also a bookkeeper. And so I'm like, you're Wonder Woman. Like, how in the world do you do that? And she literally maybe sleeps like four or five hours a night, but it's really valuable to her. And she sees the benefit. Now her kids are like 18, 19, 20 growing up and getting out of the house. And she's like, it's so worth it. But as far as negatives, honestly, you're talking to the wrong person about negatives. I have so many positives. Don, do you foresee any negatives in the future as you continue in your homeschooling path? I would echo what Dustin said is that you have to find some time to get your own stuff done in the day and just make sure that you carve out the time for yourselves and for your children. That's the only negative I've seen so far, but we're really new to this thing. Dustin, I want to come back to something you mentioned at the beginning of the interview I feel like the natural progression of homeschooling is to not go to college, right? Because after doing homeschooling for so long, it's almost like you've put such a value on learning by experience and learning with your family. So for you, if your kids decide not to go to college, that'll be just fine. I'm encouraging them not to. Like I'm literally telling them from the very beginning right now, there are so many ways to make money 
that if that's what we need to do to go to college, is that if that's the reason to go to college is to make money to provide for yourself, there's so many other ways to do that. Now, if you're going to be like a lawyer or a doctor or some, an engineer, somebody who needs that education, absolutely. Will will encourage you in that. But here's my, here's the thing. I'm telling my kids, if you are smart enough to go to college, you're smart enough to figure out how to pay for yourself. That's with scholarships or grants or working a job, whatever it might be, you need to work yourself into doing that. And so I'm not completely against college, even though they teach you things that they want to teach you. I'm against how much it absolutely is ridiculous it costs. It costs so much for college now. It has skyrocketed. And don't get, I, I could get started on the reasons why, but I'm not going to. So I, look, I literally was digging through my, uh, one of my drawers the other day. And I pulled out my diploma from college. I graduated a few year, a number of years ago, and it was literally embossed in wood. Like my parents, they paid a little extra money to put the diploma in wood. And I'm looking at it. I was literally just going to throw it away because I was I'm not ever going to, I don't need this ever. I, nobody's ever seen this. No job has ever wanted it. And, but at the same time, I realized this thing, I was just going to throw away. What I could do, maybe I can encourage some people. I'm literally going to blow it up. I'm going to catch it on fire and blow it up because I will never, ever need my diploma again because I found so many different ways to make money. And so with my, my kids, I mean, everything from making money online, doing side hustles, investing in real estate. Again, if I, well, this is what I'm doing with my kids. So I think about another great thing about homeschooling is financial education that I'm able to teach my kids. So if remember, I'll, I'll get a train of thought of actually teaching them. But remember when I, when I actually pay them $10 for a book, I'm encouraging them also to learn how to save, how to give. So this is what we do. With $10, we say 10%, we always give to God. We always tithe. So they, we, I sit them down every single time they get money from, from their books, from birthdays or Christmas, we sit down. So out of the entire money that they get, 10%, we set aside. And I break it up. They show, I show them how to do it. Then I say, okay, 50% of the whole goes into savings. Like You literally cannot spend it. That literally goes into savings. On top of that, I say 20% goes to mommy to pay for food, to pay for electricity, because we have responsibilities. I want to teach you about responsibilities right now. So 20%, they literally walk over to mommy and say, here you go, mommy. And mommy says, thank you. It helps us you know, pay for food and everything. Then the last 20%, they can do with whatever they want. They can give it to God. They can put it in savings. They can also give it to mommy. And I'm so blessed that many, many times my kids literally say, well, I want to give you know, 50 cents more to God. I want to give a dollar more to mommy. And I really want to save. What's great is now savings is a competition. My older kids have like eight or $900 and they're trying to get to a thousand dollars the soonest. So they're trying to do everything to save money. I put in a bank account that they can see the interest. Like, Hey daddy, how much did we learn this month? Oh, you're in 25 cents or 40 cents. Like, wow, we didn't do anything. We made money. Like, yes, that's the beauty of it. And so thinking about going to college, going, I'm rounding back to going to college. I'm encouraging them to not go to college because if you had $50,000 in debt from going to college, it's going to take you a very long time to pay off that debt. What if instead of me paying $50,000, because I'm blessed to have money, instead of me paying $50,000 to have you go to college, instead of doing that, I give you a loan for $50,000. You go buy two rental properties that will make you $250 or more every single month from those properties. That'll be $500 that you're making. Instead of having to have money come out of your pocket with the $50,000, why don't you put $500 in your pocket? So that's just one of many ways to make money. So no, I'm absolutely against college personally. 
John, speak to that idea a little bit. Do you think homeschooling will change your orientation to Aspen's going to college or not? Yeah, we definitely are not going to push her to go to college. I do agree with a lot of the things that Dustin said. But if she decides that she wants to pursue a profession that requires college, we will support her to do that. Definitely college can be ridiculously expensive. And by the time that my child is 18, college is going to be even more uh, if it goes on the trajectory that it's on right now. So we will try during our schooling to help her find, uh, help show her alternative careers that don't require college that can be just as, has just as much satisfaction. So Dustin, I'm going to end around this about by hammering this point a little further because you've spoken to it already, but I think it's important to address it. This is a podcast that focuses on personal finance, sometimes financial independence. People who are interested in such things, why should they be interested in homeschooling? How does this tie into financial independence? So when you think of financial independence, you're really independent from other people giving you money to in a job, like you're not earning money anymore. When you're financially independent, you're making money where it didn't exist, like buying a rental property. Well, that didn't exist. Even though the money physically existed, that business didn't exist and you created that. So with financial independence, you think about when you go to school, normal school, then going to junior high, then high school and college, you are literally taught to be an employee. You're literally taught to work that job, that just overbroke job, for your entire life. That's really what it, it's all about. That's how I, I see it. Now, that's not bad for like 85, 90% of the population. There are people that just love working, which is working for somebody else, which is totally great. But for financial independence, you need to think outside the box. You don't need to just follow orders and say, hey, here's your product. Follow step one, step two, step three, all the way to 10. Once you get to 10, we can then sell that product and we'll give you, you know, uh, you earned money. You work an hour, you make that money for that one hour, however much I agree to pay you. See, when you're working at just overbroke job, your boss is paying you just enough to keep you working, but not so much that takes money out of their pocket, no matter where you're working. That's, that's just the way it's going to work out. And so being financially independent, you are getting paid for the value that you bring. Like my son literally waking up at, he was up, I, I was up at 6.30 walking into the kitchen. He was already on, working on his math because he's just an early riser and he wanted to do it. Well. He is the type of a person that's going to say, I'm going to make sure that this gets done. I'm going to get paid for the value that I bring, not for the hour that I work. And so when I'm thinking about what my kids are going to be doing in becoming financially independent, there are so many ways to be financially independent. I also call it successfully unemployed. Like people, when I ever tell anybody about successfully unemployed, they have to take a step back and think, wait, you're unemployed? And you're happy about that? I'm like, yes, because I'm financially independent, because I have money coming in in so many other ways that I don't need to work that just overbroke job. And so my kids, I am showing them how there are, I'm literally teaching them how to invest in real estate. I'm literally teaching them how to start businesses. I'm also creating, personally, creating websites that will make and generate money for them so that in the future, just like my real estate, I could pass it down to them. These websites, I can have them work in the websites, editing or writing or working with affiliates or whatever it might be. And I could literally pass down those websites to them as well. So yeah, there's so many ways to make sure that you're financially independent. And in fact, be not going to public school. Homeschooling actually helps you to become financially independent so much more easily. 
John, we started this conversation by talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, and I'd like to end in the same place. Do you think this pandemic will push people to be more interested in homeschooling in the future? I do. In fact, on Stealth Wealth Family, we just wrote an article about that because it's so timely that all of a sudden kids have to be at home. And I think it's homeschool's time to shine right now. Some people are going to be converted because they're going to realize what an improved close relationship they're having with their children when they're at home and how maybe if their kid has issues with attention or with learning certain subjects that they find that they might learn them better at home. So yeah, I think that it is going to become more popular in the future. And I echo a lot of the stuff that Dustin's saying about teaching your children in an unconventional way, such that they have a better chance of being more successful financially. And it does seem like that. And I I completely agree with you, Donette. Hopefully people are realizing that it is possible, especially that they have to almost like, are they going to give their kids five months of summer break or six months of summer break? I talked to a teacher that lives down the street from me. She said that she was literally told, close up your your school classroom as if it's the end of the year, like don't expect to come back. And so she's looking like I either, I don't have a job, but then I have my kids that are not going to be going to school for. So for six months, are you going to tell me that you're not going to teach your kids? Hopefully you are. And you're also going to see it's really, really not that bad. In fact, if, if you do it right, there is so much curriculum out there that you don't have to put so much on your shoulders. There are co-ops basically co-ops or where other homeschool families get together where somebody might be fantastic at biology. I hate biology. Let's have them teach it, teach all the kids, or I'm great at English. Let me teach all them. I'll bring all the kids here and we'll learn. There's so many other ways to learn that we don't have to actually be in school. And I'm really hoping and praying that people are seeing it is possible. And should I really rely on the government to actually be educating my kids? Maybe, but then again, what happens if something like, like it literally closes down for another year? Then what are you going to do? Your kids are going to be so far behind. You're going to have to homeschool. So I just think as much as we can encourage as, as homeschooling families, just encourage and say, this is how it's benefited us. and Our kids are doing fantastic. And they're actually way ahead. Like our kids are literally ahead of the other kids at their age. So we're blessed with homeschooling. So I really hope and pray that people are going to say, I can absolutely do this. And I don't need to rely on somebody else to, to teach my kids. Well, I wanted to thank you guys for this fascinating discussion. Homeschooling is something that's been on a lot of our radars, and especially with what's happening in our world today. Clearly, I think we all have lots of questions about it, and you've answered many of them. Dawn, why don't you tell us what's coming up next in your life, and where can we find you on the internet? So as far as what's coming up next, that's a difficult question because we're all taking it day by day right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. But... Uh, you can find me on the internet at my two blogs, practicebalance.com and stealthwealthfamily.com, where I'm regularly writing articles, both about self-knowledge, self-care, and then also at Stealth Wealth Family, our uh, homeschooling adventures and being financially independent with a child. And Dustin, where can we find you on the internet and what is coming up next in your life? So what's coming up next is we love to travel, but that's a little damp, put a damper on that. What we're actually thinking about doing, just because we see the market being very, very high, probably sometime next year, we're going to sell the house that we live in and we're going to buy a travel trailer 
and travel around the entire America, United States, might even go to Canada and all that sort of, but literally travel for an entire year because we homeschool and because I have money coming in other ways. So that's a big, what's up next is we'll sell the house, pocket two or $300,000, which would be fantastic and drive around the country. Now, if anybody wants to find me, I have my podcast is Successfully Unemployed. If you go to and just search anywhere for Successfully Unemployed, the website is successfullyunemployed.co, where I just interview so many amazing people who are successfully unemployed. And it's not just their story, like, oh, how did you do this? And then how did you do this? Like, what was your next step there? I literally interview them as if they are teaching me and in in turn teaching the listener, how did you become a successful unemployed? And what is the steps? How do I start? What's the next step? Then what's the next step? Teach us how to do it because you're the expert. Show us how to do it. And so that's what I love is successfully unemployed. So check out that podcast. I do also teach rental properties as well. Master Passive Income Podcast, masterpassiveincome.com. You can find me there as well. But I just love helping so many people. So I really appreciate being on the show, Doc. Thank you for having me. This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, whose children are sitting quietly downstairs doing their e-learning modules, I'd like to thank Dustin Heiner and Don Baker. That's a wrap. While you can't listen to an Earn and Invest podcast episode every day, you can go to the Earn and Invest Facebook group. That's at facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. That's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest to carry on the types of conversations we have here on the podcast. We talk about what's happening in the world today. We talk about personal finance in general. We talk about financial independence. And occasionally we do touch on politics also. We'd love to see you there. Come join our community, facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. Now back to the show. So we're here with Steve Adcock from steveadcock.us, formerly of Think, Save, Retire. And today we're going to talk about reading the tea leaves or, so to speak, timing the market. Now, I say timing the market, but I'm not really talking about stocks. What I really want to talk to Steve about is how we decide to make those decisions, big decisions in our life, whether economic or not. Before we get to that, though, Steve, we first met each other. Do you remember uh, the first time you and I met? I think we were in a very hot room together. (laughs) That is true. It was FinCon 2018. The backstory is I was looking to run into Jim from Route to Retire. I had been following him for a while and I had texted back and forth with him and we finally caught up with each other. This was at like one in the morning. Carl Jensen had thrown a beer party at FinCon in one of the conference rooms off the side. And of course that was packed and there was a door that went behind in a crowded hall and I walk up on Steve and Jim and I look at Jim and I say, hey man, it's so great to meet you. I've been reading your stuff forever. And then I look at Steve and realize it's Steve from Think Save Retire. And I'm like, and your stuff too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm there too. (laughs) And you gave me this look like, yeah, you probably tell everyone that. Mm -hmm, I get it. It was just this really funny conversation. (laughs) Yeah, but that corner, that hallway was such sweet relief because that room had to have been 85 degrees with 100 people in that room. Uh, So that hall, we weren't really supposed to be there, but um, you know, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah, it's one of the sad things, actually, of what it feels like to be in shelter in place right now, even as the country's opening up, this idea of getting together in these meetings and conferences, running into 
cool people to talk to in a back stuffy hallway. That's something that we might not have much of in the future. So I definitely relish that time we had not knowing it back at FinCon 2018 when I met you. And of course, 2019 too. You and I met again when I had you on the show. The podcast then was What's Up Next? We've now rebranded to Earn and Invest. And we had this great conversation about risk. Risk. Which is kind of funny given the fact that the world today looks very different than it did when we recorded that. What was it, like eight or nine months ago? Yeah, something like that. Maybe even more than that. Yeah. I don't remember exactly when. But yeah, it's, it's very different now. But um. I don't know. It's not necessarily all bad, though. And that's kind of the fun of this conversation. Back then, the question was, is do we understand risk? And today's conversation is about reading the tea leaves, and those ideas are intimately tied together. How you understand risk, how you read the tea leaves of your future, how you make decisions is impacted by your understanding of your own life situation and then, of course, the greater economy. So this is a good chance for us to talk about some big life decisions you've made. I started following you when you made the decision to leave your job, jump in an Airstream, and travel the world. And you did that for a few months, is that right? Or a few years, excuse me, is that right? Yep. For about three years, we we lived full-time in that 200-square-foot Airstream, no house, just that Airstream. It sounds kind of like reminiscent of that back hallway we met in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I guess I like I guess I like sm- small spaces, but that kind of came to a head uh, last year, though, and we we ended up making a change. But it was a very freeing, very um, unique lifestyle for sure. Let's talk about that change a little bit. I have to say, I was a little bit surprised when you announced on your blog that you had actually bought a home, something that I wasn't expecting because I had been following your nomadic path. It turns out that was very interesting timing when we look at what's happening in the world today. Tell me a little bit about your thought process of deciding that maybe it was time to actually have a place on the map to call your own. Yeah, I like I like to to say that oh we totally saw this coming. So owning property out in the middle of nowhere was just the perfect solution. Obviously that was not the case. It was completely dumb luck the way it worked out. But the timing could not have been better. And w- I'm a feels kind of guy. I like to just go with my gut and what I'm feeling at the time. And last year, we were traveling out east. We were going pretty quickly. Um, I was doing the best I can from like a working at the computer perspective um, from my desk in the Airstream. And we took out the nook. We ripped out the dinette and we put in just a flat desk, which made a world of difference. But man, I was still sharing my office with the kitchen. <laughs> and that's not something, it, it just did, it didn't work. I mean, it sort of did for a while, but I just got tired of it. I wanted, I wanted to spread my wings a little bit, have a little bit of room to spread out. And um, I've never really considered owning property before, um, but we spent a lot of time here in the Southeast Arizona area. Land is cheap. 
Um, we never have to call ahead and ask for a reservation permission to park our Airstream there. When it's our land, we can do whatever the hell we want to do. And it's that kind of flexibility and freedom that initially got us interested in the idea of, well, what if we bought uh, some property to go to whenever we want? And then that idea started to expand. Well, what if we built a house there or we built land or we bought land with a house already there um, so we can build a proper office, maybe a home gym and live a little bit more traditionally for half the year and then maybe travel for the other half year. So we decided to, to give that a try last year and we've been here for about seven months. Now, was it hard for you to, in a sense, go off brand? I mean, you had been talking on the blog about this lifestyle and it had become part and parcel of how people saw you in the community. Was it hard to pivot and say, well, wait a minute, I really did like this for three years of my life, but now my needs have switched? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And one of the things that I've always tried to, um, I guess, stay true to on my blog is this is about our life. I am not selling an idea to you, whether it's living small or living in an Airstream, early retirement, whatever, whatever it is. I'm not selling that idea. I'm simply giving you what we're doing and talking a little bit about how that's impacting our life. So for me, it's about life is just about happiness. Whatever makes you happy, whatever living arrangement that happens to be is okay. So for me, I didn't really have a problem settling down a little bit because that's what was going to make us happier. And in a way, I kind of liked that angle because it's not just about living in an airstream down by the river. It's about doing what's best for you. If that's living small or living in, in a house, whatever that means to you, do it. It's about making it work. Um, so from that angle, um, I, I think this, this actually worked out pretty well from us from a story perspective about what, what all is happening in, um, in our lives. I found at least personally, when I entered the personal finance realm and especially the financial independence realm, we tend to lend ourselves to extremes, especially at the beginning whether it be frugality, whether it be savings, investing, side hustling. One thing I found, though, with many people is as they take this journey and get more comfortable with where they are, those extremes tend to fade away. So the frugal blogger is not nearly as frugal as they were three or four years ago when they started. The travel hacker who was living the nomadic life maybe wants to settle down for a month or two somewhere. Things change as you grow into this role. And it sounds like for you, just like for me, you became more comfortable with the fact that there's some gray zones, that you can do a little bit of both. Yeah, exactly. I found that really when you lead up to some major goal, that's when you make the most drastic changes in your life, like drastically cutting back your expenses and living a more quote unquote extreme life. But then once you're there, then you have the opportunity or freedom to just kind of make it your own. And if that means continuing to live a more extreme life, that's, that, you know, that's perfectly fine. That works. Um, but for us, we found that once you're there, you have a lot more freedom than you thought you probably were going to have um, to start making some changes to make things a little bit more comfortable for you. Or maybe you found out that full-time travel just isn't as fun or maybe it's a little bit more stressful than, than you thought. So, I mean, the more willing we are to pivot and adjust Either way, I think ultimately the happier we're going to be 
after we decide that traditional life probably isn't for us. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how decisions are made, specifically how you make decisions. We in this community, especially in personal finance, tend to be very numbers-driven, very spreadsheet-driven, yet you just a few minutes ago said that you're a little bit more driven by feels. How do we decide what to do? Like, is it okay just to go with your gut? I, I can certainly tell you that in times in my life, that's been really helpful, and then in other times, I've made huge mistakes doing the same thing. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a good balance and it comes back to your risk tolerance. I am a very risk tolerant person. My wife is a little bit more risk averse and that's good because we kind of balance each other out. I have a stupid idea and she tells me it's stupid and we don't go down that path. So that I, I married the right person for so many reasons, but especially the fact that she is more risk averse, she kind of keeps me a little bit more honest. Um, but for me, I just naturally, I like to, I like to try things and just see how they work. And most of the decisions we make will not be irreversible. So yes, I might not be able to get my old job back now, but then again, I worked for years to get out of that environment. So the last thing I want to do is go back to that job anyway. Um, but if things, I mean, if things do go wrong, I can always go back to work at least part-time. But you know, hopefully it doesn't come to that. But for me, it's trying new things, seeing what works, adjusting as you go. And for some people, it's going to be, you know, if the spreadsheet tells me I can, then maybe I will. But for me, it's, I feel like this is the right thing for me to do. And then I look for evidence to suggest that I'm dumb. And if I don't find that evidence, then, I don't know, nine times out of 10, I'll probably start making those steps just to, you know, seeing how it works. I might not dive in head first, but then again, I might. Um, but as long as there's not evidence to suggest that I'm really being stupid here, I really go with my gut because more times than not, it's going to be right. Two thoughts based on what you just said. One is, I believe your wife was a rocket scientist, right? So it makes sense that she's maybe a little more risk adverse and sciencey about some of these things. Exactly. She is a spreadsheet queen. She could she could distill anything into rows and columns. It's amazing. I cannot do that, but she definitely can. And the other thought that came up is when you build your life based on a structure of strong financial principles, as well as strong social principles, you have a little bit more leeway to use your gut because the consequences just aren't as great because you've already laid a great foundation for a successful life. That's right. If you have, if you have a fallback, then it makes it so much easier to be a little bit more risk tolerant. Uh, for example, we saved up three years, three years of living expenses in an ally savings account. That's way more cash than a lot of people um, have and think that you should have. But for us, it enables us to be a little bit riskier and try new things because we know if something doesn't work out or if the stock market crashed like it did a couple um, months ago, well, I guess one month ago now, um, we have a lot of buffer to make sure that we're not making huge mistakes, we're not selling in a down market, and we don't feel like our life is going downhill, at least too quickly. <laughs> so what I'm getting from this is that when it comes to reading the tea leaves, if you create a strong buffer, have a partner that balances you off nicely, and then are able to pivot and ready to do such, 
you'll generally make good decisions or at least pivot to better decisions as time changes. Yeah, exactly. And some people will be naturally better at that than others. But I mean, for the, the more solid your foundation, the easier it's going to be to take risks. In the absence of a foundation, you either have to one, take less risk, or two, be really prepared to feel a little bit of pain, uh, potentially, if things go wrong. But again, some people are perfectly okay operating in that environment. I'm like halfway there. I don't necessarily go full bore into that without a foundation. But definitely, the, the more to lean back on, the more solid that is, the easier all of this gets. Now, we talked about this idea that buying a home ended up being a great idea given the fact shelter in place and the coronavirus pandemic. That is not something you foresaw. Let's transition to the second big decision you made fairly recently, which was to sell your blog, Think, Save, Retire. Now, I got the feeling that that was a little bit more based on your thoughts of what economically was going to happen in the future. Yeah, I... I came to a fork in the road. It was, or maybe it was more like a crossroads. Think Save Retire was my baby from the very beginning. I built it up from nothing. And it was a very big, well-read website, and I'm still very proud of it. But it started to feel more and more like a job. Like I had to get content out. I had to get emails out. I just had to do those things to maintain that blog. Um, so I had to, you know, I had to decide, am I going to do this for the, for at least the next five years? Do I feel okay doing that, spending that time on it? Or should I start looking at maybe moving on? And around that time, somebody reached out to me and an investment company and wanted to inquire about, about, about buying it. And that's really where this started to get real. And at that point, the market was doing well, everybody was making money, and I knew it wasn't going to last. I had no idea this was going to happen, obviously, but this, it just felt like I don't really want to do this for the next five years. The market's doing well right now. People are going to pay more money now than they would if there was a recession next year. So this might be the right time to sell this blog and just move on. And again, we talk about timing the market when we're talking about selling and buying stocks. What you're talking about feels a lot different. For one, you are really moving from a place of strength. You already had financial independence. You already were making income for the blog. This was a chance to look in the future and make maybe a decision out of a good place as opposed sure. to making a decision out of fear, which unfortunately is what we tend to do when we make big life decisions based on the future. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's always easier to make decisions when you're in a really solid place. And that's exactly where I was for the most part. Um, I guess if I, if I felt like I had to sell for more money, I would feel like I was maybe letting it go, letting it go too early, or maybe forced into making that decision. But that certainly was not the case. I wanted to go out on a high note. And um, it just, I mean, from, from a timing pr uh, perspective, like I said, it just worked out better than I ever could have imagined, especially with what just happened um, over the next or over the last couple of months. And I think a great lesson too here about reading the tea leaves is your economic benefits dovetailed with your emotional benefits of selling the blog. So people don't realize, but you've been a passion blogger 
what, since the late 1990s, early 2000s, it was only later that you monetized. And for you, it sounds like the fatigue of the monetization at that time, at least with Think, Save, Retire, was was becoming an issue. Yeah, that's yeah. It, this is the only blog. I'm, I've I've been accused of blogging only for money, but I've been blogging, like you said, for the last twenty five years in in different ways. This is the only blog I have tried to monetize. Everything else, those last twenty years, I've been writing for one hundred percent free. So. To be honest, I was over passion blogging. After the first couple years of TSR, of Think, Save, Retire, I wanted to generate some, some income. I had the readers, I had the loyal ship, or the, the loyal uh, following. So why not try to monetize it to some degree? And yeah, that's ultimately what I did. But the weird thing is, once you start bringing in money, you get tied. I don't know if they're like, golden handcuffs. Maybe they're like bronze or gold plated handcuffs or something because you're not getting rich. I certainly didn't get rich off of that blog, but you like to see that income continue coming in. And with every email you send, well, that's 20 bucks. That's 30 bucks. That was 50 bucks. And this all just starts to add up and it becomes this draw on your emote on the emotional side of, of really your life. Like you have to, you feel like you have to continue doing these things, writing these emails, or you're leaving money on the table. And that was, I mean, it finally got to a head, um, and I, uh, and I decided I just couldn't go through this any longer, but it's a very interesting path that I think a lot of bloggers go through. They want to make money, but yet they want their blogs to be fun and passive income. But those two things do not match whatsoever. And it's not just blogs either. When I was younger, I fell in love with certain types of artwork. I was decorating a new home I had bought when I was in residency And I went to a local art gallery and fell in love with these artists, but I wasn't willing to pay the $1,000, $2,000 for each piece of artwork. So this was back in the early 2000s, late 1990s. I found a group of people on eBay selling the same artwork for much less, ingratiated myself to them, and eventually learned the tricks of the trade. And I started dealing artwork myself, which was a huge amount of fun. But, and this is the huge caveat, I was moving so much artwork through my house that it stopped being something I enjoyed or had pleasure from and ended up just being paper. So I had these $10,000, $15,000 pieces of paper that were coming in and out of my house. Whereas when I had started the journey, there were these beautiful pieces of artwork. And I can imagine with blogging, the same thing happens. We mostly start writing because we're passionate about something. And when you monetize it changes the way you feel about your product. And I get that feeling from you that some of that happened with Think, Save, and Retire. It just didn't feel the same anymore. Yeah, it didn't. It definitely felt more like a J-O-B. And I hate admitting that because that's one thing I really wanted to get away from. But it really, it really Duh. It's so, it's so um, fascinating how that works, actually. And this is one of the reasons why I always... Cons- uh, Um, I guess, advise people not to follow their passion as a job. Now, this is a little bit different, but I I am 
on board with the idea that we should follow our passions without having to make money from those passions. So full-time jobs should be your strength, your marketable skill, what you can make money. And then what you do on the side is what you really feel passionate about because then you will not have to worry about making money. You'll just do it because you enjoy doing it. That to me is really how you pursue your passion in a very, um, I guess, healthy way. Yeah, I totally connect with that. And I, I ran into the same thing as a physician. I really liked being a physician, but it didn't turn out to be my true passion. Doing more of this kind of stuff, writing, podcasting, public speaking has become my passion. But part of the great part about it is that I don't really rely on it for money, which is incredibly freeing. Yep. Um, which I imagine for you it is too. Let's look back now. It's been how long since you sold Think, Save, Retire and any regrets? Um, I sold it in August of last year. So August of 2019, we were traveling through Iowa at the time. So we weren't even here in Arizona. Um, I have exactly zero regrets. Now I do miss like my Twitter following and some of the lo- the, the loyal viewers, I, I do miss that component of it. Um, so one thing I'm trying to do now is build up a new Twitter following with, with my new Twitter handle. But that, to be honest, is the only thing that I would say I miss from TSR. There's so much else there that felt more like just work, that things I had to do, um, and not like the, the um, passion side of running a a big well-trafficked blog. So no, no, no real regrets. And I'm trying to duplicate the things that I liked you doing my, uh, doing my own stuff now. Yeah. I've, I've heard from other people that sometimes when you have a big brand, your name and the brand get so tied up that after leaving that brand, it's actually hard to have people follow you somewhere else, even though you're the same guy writing about the same stuff it's just people associate you and that brand so tightly. That's right. And the a year before, not, not a lot of people know this or maybe realized it, but the year before I sold TSR, I knew, I just knew, I had that, I knew I wasn't going to do this for much longer. I didn't necessarily know how long, but I knew I didn't want to do it. And I slowly started to remove myself from the blog, just little bits here and there where the main page was more about the idea and not about me. The writing was not necessarily my story. It was about, again, the idea, how to fire the, you know, what, whatever the, the concepts happened to be, I kept it a lot more um, objective than subjective. And I think that's what really allowed me to make a break from TSR and not one, not have the blog fail because people in theory would be following you. And if another brand takes it over, you're no longer there and nobody visits again. Luckily that has not happened. And the other benefit to that is since I removed myself, I started to develop my own quote unquote personal brand while I was running TSR. So when I did eventually make that break, it wasn't this, this hard uh, stop in terms of my story and and how people connect with it. And you and your wife have been doing a lot more on YouTube. Is that right? Um, Well, yeah, we've had a YouTube channel since we started traveling. So 2016 ish timeframe for a while there, we were publishing videos almost every day. 
but now since we're not traveling, it's probably one video a week. Sometimes we struggle for content because we're, you know, we're just kind of here doing our own thing. There's not, there, there's not much, there's not as much uh, to film, but yeah, we certainly do the best, um, the best we can with that. So let's talk about the future a little bit. You've kept your fans on their toes, buying a house, selling Think Save Retire. I mean, what's next? Are you going back to a nine to five job and going to become an employee again? Oh, I wish you hadn't brought that up because I just accepted a position. Well, no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> that is that is the absolute last resort if everything hits the fan. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even like to think about that. Honestly, I don't. I don't really know what's nothing. Nothing is really on the horizon at this point. We do plan to continue traveling, but after the pandemic is, after it's a little bit safer to start traveling, we probably will do that. Um, We have international plans um, in the future. Nothing tied down to dates yet, but just general hopes and dreams. Um, But other than that, there's we're just we're just hanging out here. We're having a good time. Uh, We're living cheap. Um, and we're just seeing how the wind blows at this point, I guess. Long term, you see yourself as part-time nomadic, so to speak, spending a certain amount of time at the homestead and then traveling out for the rest. Exactly. And that's really what we uh, we had understood when we bought the place. We would do this half and half. This year, that's not happening because of the pandemic. But in the future, we fully anticipate that happening. And once we no longer have our fur babies, we have two dogs, um, then we start looking at living maybe abroad. Maybe we'll live in Puerto Vallarta where we like to vacation for a few months and just move on from there. So there's lots of different things that we're um, entertaining in the future. Um, but for now, it's going to be the winter, spring, fall timeframe here. And then we will escape during the hotter months um, to you know higher elevations or just different states. You could always hang out with our friend Jim at Route to Retire in Panama. I know he's been there. They're hopefully going to be cu- coming off lockdown soon, or they're starting to, but uh, I think he's been enjoying himself there with his family. Uh, it's funny you say that because we, pl- we had a flight, we had flights booked, booked to go see Jim in late uh, March, which we had to cancel, obviously. So that was, that was, that was the plan that we would go down there and to Panama and spend a week with him. Um, that's, I'm determined to make that happen. I just don't, I just don't exactly know when now. Steve Adcock from steveadcock.us. Thank you for coming on and catching us up and what's going on in your life and helping us learn how to read the tea leaves and tell the future. Obviously, the future is unknown, but if you plan carefully, you can go with your gut and make life changes as you feel appropriate. And if they don't work, clearly you pivot. Steve, thanks for coming on. Uh, it, It was a pleasure, Doc. Thanks for having me. Have you ever considered homeschooling? My daughter is the canary in the coal mine. Exquisitely sensitive and empathic, she senses disorder, incongruity, and dissension. While often an admirable trait in CEO, it doesn't get you many friends in elementary school. Her wish to control, calm nerves, and follow rules made her a natural target in third grade. Her peers called her bossy and rebelled at her attempts to keep order. After several incidents where her personal possessions disappeared and a group of children formed a club based on hating my daughter, the teacher explained to us that our child was difficult, not like the other kids. 
We paid to have an expert social worker who contracted with school districts and specializes in such issues come and evaluate our daughter and inconspicuously monitor her social interactions with the other children over a few day period. The expert's conclusions were quite clear. She told us our daughter is kind and an intelligent child who is withering in a system that lacks empathy. She should not attend public school. Luckily, in our neighborhood, there are many high-quality, albeit expensive, private schools to choose from. We are about to sign up with one of them in the middle of the year when my daughter herself brought up the idea of homeschooling. At that time, we discounted the suggestion immediately. My wife and I were both busy professionals who neither had the bandwidth nor the know-how to pull off such a thing. So we enrolled my daughter in a nearby progressive school, and she has thrived ever since. Years later, although my daughter is doing so well, my life has changed for the better. My wife and I discovered the personal finance and financial independence world and have thought seriously about leaving the work environment altogether. Wouldn't it be nice to travel the world? Wouldn't it be nice to live life at our own pace? All that would be very possible if we homeschooled my son and daughter. But now 15 and 12, pulling them out of the systems in which they are prospering seems unfair. Did we miss the boat? You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.